I invite you to open your Bible, if you have your copy of God's Word, to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3 is where we're at today. And I invite you to look with me there and find uh, the third chapter of Romans. We're going to look at uh, today, beginning with verse uh, Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse number 27. So if you have your copy of God's Word. Now remember what Paul has reminded us of. In the passage just prior, we looked at this last week. He's reminded us of the great truth that now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And so as you look into that, as it is through Jesus Christ, verse number 22, to all who believe, for there is no distinction so this is the good news he's shown us. He has shown us in, this, in Romans 1 and 2 that the wrath of God is now being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that we have all sinned, all of us have, Gentiles, pagans, heathens, we've sinned against holy God and we have run away from him. But also very religious or judgmental people, you too have sinned. And Jewish, faithful Jewish people, you too have sinned. And there's no distinction. We're all shut up under sin. And yet now God's wonderful good news has been revealed for all of us sinners. That's all of us, right? In that Jesus Christ came and that he died for our sins, shedding his blood on Calvary's cross that we might be redeemed from our sins and made right with God. This is done by grace. It's a free gift given to us through Jesus Christ and none of our works, we can't earn it. It's his atoning death, his shed blood on the cross, redeeming us from the slavery of sin and justifying us before a holy God. This is the greatest news in all the world. The great news is this, you don't have to go to hell, but God has made a way for you to go to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And it means to be declared in every corner of the earth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that God has so loved us that he came and he died for us. This message is true, and it's liberating. You can't save yourselves. You're condemned by your sin, but you've been redeemed by the blood and the free grace that's offered to us in Christ's death. It's not based on your accomplishments. Somebody say, praise the Lord. It's not based on your good works. Somebody say, praise the Lord. It's not based on your good looks. Some of you knew to really praise the Lord. It's not based on your smarts. but it's in the work of God in Christ. Now, Paul's reminding us of these truths. He's already covered them. But why is he starting in this passage that we're going to look at? There's like a reminder here. And why is he going over these truths again? Well, number one, I think it's because we're slow to learn. Number two... 
It's such a great word and such a great subject that it needs to be revisited and underlined in our hearts and our minds. And Paul also is using an argument here, and he states the negative in order to highlight the truth. And it's a struggle in our minds and in our relationships because often we want to make the gospel turn it into something about our works and not God's grace. And so Paul is making this point. He's saying there are consequences to these great truths that we've been preaching. And so, and as I said, that I'm writing to you. Now, in chapter number three, verse number 27, he talks about the consequence of this great truth that we are saved by God's grace through faith, and it's the work of Jesus Christ alone and not our law-keeping. Verse number 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded By what kind of law? By one of works? No. On the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Heavenly Father, I ask that you speak to our hearts today as we look into your word together. Father, I pray that you convict us of our sin. I pray that you would convince us of truth. I pray that, Father, you would correct us in our false ideas. Father, I pray that you would guide us into to, uh, applying the truth into our hearts and in our lives. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to do business with us today. We need you. Father, I pray that we would set aside the multiple things that want to discourage us or distract us from hearing today. God, may we hear you fresh. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point that Paul is making here in verse number 27 is if these things are true and it's the work of God in Jesus Christ for all of us and it is based on it is based on his work and not our works and it's through faith and by grace then the first thing that he says is where then is boasting Is there any place for boasting? That's the first point, verse 27. Is there any place for boasting? What is Paul's answer? No way. There is no way that you could boast about anything. And he uses sort of a debate technique here. He's using polemics. He's he's making an argument. And he's saying that that we don't have any special status because of our Jewishness or our works. 
There's no place for boasting. We are not special. We are not in a special category because we're his chosen people, his covenant people, the apple of his eye, that we have Father Abraham as our father. While those were advantages, that we had the law that was given to us and the covenant and all of that, yet we were sinful and we need a savior also. And that salvation is apart from the law. And this is the good news of all. There's, there's no boasting. And, and there's always this, in Judaism, there was this temptation to boast. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, verse 23, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? What are you boasting in? Reminds me of a story that Jesus told in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Hmm. You ever heard of religious people looking down on other people? Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. In Luke 18. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector is standing far off, would not raise his eyes to heaven, kept striking his chest. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted my friends your salvation is not in your works and there is no place for boasting in us amen there's no place for arrogance paul knew about this boasting paul understood the temptation to have it in his own flesh Reminds me of what Paul wrote in the book of Philippians in chapter number three, in verse number four. If you have your Bible, this may not be on the screen, so look with me, Philippians 3, 4. Listen to what Paul said. Although I have reasons for confidence to boast in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that's in the law, blameless. But in everything that was gained to me, I've considered it to be a loss because of Christ. Amen. More than that, I've considered everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might be found in Christ, gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Wow. There's no place for boasting. This was Paul's preaching. This was Paul's message. There's no place for you to be arrogant or boastful about your standing with God because it's not self-earned. You did not earn it, and so there's no place for boasting in it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong, and God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, a righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Folks, you have no right to boast because your salvation is not based on your work, but on God's work. Amen. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. <clears throat> who demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things, I, the Lord, have spoken. Amen. Wow. Folks, you have no salvation in your own works. It's the grace of God. John Bradford was an English preacher, ministered in the 1500s. He saw a string of prisoners being led to the gallows to be killed. And it's a tribute to him this saying, but for the grace of God, go I. Bradford, just a few years later, in 1555, was condemned to be burned at the stake because of his evangelical faith. And he said to a fellow prisoner, he said, tonight, I'll be having a merry supper with the Lord on the day of his execution. His faith was in the Lord. Stuart Townsend wrote a beautiful hymn. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch 
his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Amen. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I, what, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. All the glory goes to Jesus Christ right. and him alone. The second thing that Paul is arguing here is by what kind of law or principle are you justified? For he says... By what kind of law, verse 27? By the use of the word law here, he's, he's using it in, as a principle. It's a system of salvation. And he says, by what kind of law? law? By one of works? His answer, no. You cannot accomplish salvation by your works. And you are not in any superior position. You have none. But is it of faith? Yes. Because in verse number 28, it says, For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It is the principle of faith. But understand this. There's a false, it, if we're not careful, we can slide into a false understanding of what faith is. Now listen close. Faith is not a work. I want you to chew on that for a minute. Faith is not a work. There's been a false teaching that insipidly gets into evangelical life that somehow or another it's like, well, God gave us the law and Nobody could keep the law of God, and so we've all broken it. So God changed the rules, and now it's no longer based on keeping the law, but now it's a new law. All you have to do is believe, and that's what you have to do. That's the work you do to be saved. And so it's like you coming and saying, Martin Lord Jones says, he's, in, in his commentary and exposition of Romans, he said, it's like God comes to mankind and he says in this teaching, in my love, I'm going to offer you something easier. 
I'm no longer going to ask you to keep the law, which was given through Moses. You could not keep it. No one could. But now I'm going to ask you to do something in your competence. I ask you, all I ask you to do is believe on my son. And if you do, you shall be saved. And if you're not careful, you turn belief into a work. You can't turn faith into a work. Because if you turn faith into a work, then you have nullified the law of God. Which he says in the last verse of this chapter, that it is not nullified. Secondly, you make faith into a work and you're not saved by works. And if you're not careful, you could become proud. You see, I have pride in myself because I did the work that God, I believed, I had faith and that guy didn't have faith and he didn't work and use his faith and I used my faith so I'm more worthy. I'm, I, it's, there's some pride There is no pride in your salvation in anything that you have accomplished. The truth of the matter is the law has not been nullified. The law has been kept. And the law was satisfied and completely accomplished and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Amen. our Savior. And faith is nothing. It's, it's, just, the, it's just the linking took Jesus Christ and his righteousness that he saves us by grace and it's just through this channel of faith his righteousness saves us his his life his faith his obedience his atoning death his sacrificial blood and we can't come to Christ because we were dead in our trespasses and sins and God awoke us God drew us and God saved us for his glory Amen. if a drowning man is rescued by a lifeguard does the drowning man say look at me no he says look at him the one that saved me. All the glory goes to Jesus Christ for your salvation. Amen? Amen. Our response to the gospel is faith, trust, turning to God and say, I have nothing. Save me or I die. Verse number 20 says of chapter 3, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no distinction. Hallelujah. For by grace are you saved through faith. Amen. 
And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Now some of you, I can hear you, maybe the wheels churning. You're thinking about another New Testament book that seems seems to say something quite different. And in the book of James, James is making an argument that's quite different than what Paul's argument is here. What James is fighting against is those who say that somehow you can just believe the facts about Jesus and you can just confess the facts about Jesus and there's no works in your life. And he says that is not real faith because that kind of faith is empty. But real faith shows itself in real works and life change in your life. James chapter 2, verse number 14 What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can that such faith save him? Hmm. Verse 18 of James chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. I'll show you faith by my works. Verse 20. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? It's empty? Verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is death, faith without works is dead. Now, it's a different subject that James is dealing with, but it, it's, it, he's, he's arguing against this, this easy believism that says you just got to believe certain facts about Jesus, but you can live sinfully or willfully. And he says, that's not true because when God has done a work in you, then that changes how you live. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. You can't earn your way. You can't work your way. You have nothing to deserve it. And he saved you. Praise God. And it causes you to want to give your whole life to him. To live for him. Belief is not, faith is not just believing facts. If we're not careful, we do this with children. We do it with other people. But do you believe the facts? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he was born of a virgin? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life? Do you believe that he loved us and showed us God's love? Do you believe that he died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose again? Those gospel facts are important. But even the demons know those facts to be true. You must trust in him, rely upon him, repent toward him, and experience a work that you can't cause to happen, a new birth from above in your life. And it changes you. Let's be very careful in our evangelism that it's not just about believing facts. 
Well, if you believe these facts, you're good to go. You can go to heaven. No, we need to preach the truth of the gospel, that we're lost, that we're condemned, that we're under the righteous wrath of God and we have no hope and we're dead in our trespasses and sin and there's no way we could ever save ourselves and God is absolutely just and holy and right and good in condemning us in our sin. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son and God has demonstrated his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and Christ bore your sins on Calvary's cross if you'll trust him and believe in him and put your faith in him and as the Holy Spirit works in you, changing you you, you say yes to Christ and he's born you, you experience this born from above Amen. quite honestly without that new birth you'll never even trust him He raises your dead body to life. And he does it in a way that he gets the maximum glory. Because it's all him. Another problem that we have is some of you here think that you don't need that in your life. You think you're good. You grew up with good parents, according to the culture. You've been through the rituals, you have a membership in a church. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you think you're right on political issues, you boast in your citizenship. I want to tell you, listen to my friends. You may look good in the world's eyes, but down deep in your heart, you know you're a sinner and you know you're a lawbreaker and you know you can't save yourself. And without salvation, you'll go to hell. Amen. Another problem we have is we've displaced God's grace with legalism that you think being a Christian is about things you do don't do or do do. I don't drink, I don't dance, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. <laughs> My friends, you have nothing to bring. It's all Jesus. And it's our only hope. Can somebody say amen? amen? Third thing that Paul deals with here in our text for today, verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Are Jews and Gentiles on the same footing before God? Amen. And here's the truth. There's only one plan of salvation for all people. If your Bible system has two plans of salvation, you're in error. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ and him alone. 
The gospel abolishes all distinctions because all are lost, all are sinful, and all that are saved are only saved by the work of God through Jesus Christ. We live in a world of divisions, don't we? We're divided all over all kinds of things. And never in my life have I ever seen a time where there's more division about almost anything and everything. We're divided about race. We're divided by language. We're divided by borders. We're divided by politics. Oh, Lord, we're divided by politics. <laughs> we're divided about gender. We're divided about social status. We're divided about wealth. We're divided about economics. We're divided about capitalism or socialism. We're divided about vaxes and unvaxed and masked and unmasked and blah, 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 blah. There's only one that can unite us. And that's Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, verse 12. At that time you were without Christ... Excluded from citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, these are Gentiles, right? Without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ha <laughs> ha. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. And he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. And he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. <laughs> so then, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Amen. This is the work of God for all of us. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, in verse number 20. Verse 19. 
Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions and to the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Verse number 28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. My friends, there's no longer this division between Gentile and Jew, but God has made both Gentile and Jew in Jesus Christ, one, and we are the heirs of God in Christ. We are citizens of his kingdom. We have been born again. We are his. And the only hope for this broken, messed up world, how many of y'all agree this world is messed up? Amen. In this world of division and infighting, the only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are ambassadors of Christ. And we're pleading to be reconciled with God. We're preaching the truth. And there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Amen. There's only one way. Multiple ways, there's one way. We live in a world that wants to preach and teach there's multiple ways to God. That as if God dwells on some summit mountain and figuratively and that all of the different religions are trying to get to God and this is the argument. We need to just all coexist. We're all trying to attain the same place and Islam's trying to get there their way and the, those that follow uh, 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 the Buddhism is trying to get there their way, and those who are Hindus are trying to get there their way, and Christians are trying to get there their way, and we don't need to be critical of one another, and we just need to coexist, and we're all worshiping the same God, so stop criticizing. We just need to love one another and get along and pull from our collective insight and learn from one another because there's many ways to arrive at God. Does that sound familiar? Paul's argument says there's one God and there's only one way. Paul said, 
There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Peter said, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The Old Testament says there is a way that seems right to a man, but that leads only to death. And Jesus said, I, I alone am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There are not two plans of salvation. There's one way, and it's in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pull an audible. Matt, I'm going to pick on you. Would you come up here with me for a minute? Wrong Matt. Okay, good. I had two Matts coming. All right, I'll take this one. All right, Matt. No, you're the right one, dude. Okay. All right. Now you are. And so uh, I'm just teasing. Okay. Now. Matt, I want to give you a gift. It's, I went shopping. It was hard to pick this out, but it's a really important gift. All right, I want you to have it. You take it. All right. Now. Do you have any money? Not on me. Not on you? Can you give me fake money? Pretend money? All right. If 20 bucks would be fine. Thank you. All right. And so, uh, so now, thank you, Matt. Did Matt get a gift? No. What happened? Well, there was a transaction, wasn't there? Yeah. There's love note back. And uh, here, stay right here. Stay right here. Matt, do you have anything that's just... If this is salvation. No. Nothing. It's a sin. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. You're mine. Thank you. That's salvation. He didn't earn it, he didn't deserve it. It's a gift. All he had was a sin. You're now a child of God. Praise God. What do you want to do? Shout for joy. Amen. <laughs> you want to live for him, don't you? I do. Yeah. Go on, man. There's only one way. It's in him. Does the gospel nullify the law? No, it doesn't. Paul said no. No way. The law's perfect. Jesus said that the law never passed away. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away for the smallest letter or stroke of law would pass away without carrying out its purpose. Jesus said Whoever nulls, annuls the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches it will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. The law is not set aside. It is not nullified. But you need to understand the purpose of the law. It wasn't to save you. In Romans chapter number 8, 
And we will get to this eventually in verse 3. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The law shows us our sin, but the law can't heal us. But Christ came and fulfilled the law, and he came to redeem us. And the Holy Spirit of God has come to reside in us. And he's right the law on our hearts so that we might obey him. That is the beautiful grace of God. Three things in our text today. The gospel of justification by faith alone. Number one, it humbles the sinner and it excludes boasting. Number two, it unites believers and excludes discrimination. Number three, it upholds the law and it excludes, big word, antinomianism. That means lawlessness. This is God's work and the consequences of God's grace and justification by faith. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that today, as we've been instructed in the word, we've learned and been taught in the word, that Father, we've been, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us today. There may be somebody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today they might hear you call, listen, and that they would respond in trust and faith and repentance. Oh God, oh God, thank you for your great love for us. We need you. Have your way in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.